All right, joining us now is somebody I've known a long, long time. I date back to this guy before he was on the personnel side of baseball, and that's the former farm director of the Cleveland Indians, former general manager of the Colorado Rockies, now a very trusted MLB analyst on TV, uh, not the TV game, studio analyst. That's Dan O'Dowd. Dan, how are you? Good, guys. How are you? Uh, Good. We're both great. Uh, I guess that just dates dates ourselves when I say I've known you that long. <laughs> uh, yes, man, it's been a long time. It has been. It has been. First of all, let me ask you a question. You've been away from the Rockies for, what, two and a half seasons now, roughly? Going on three, correct. Going yep. on three. Are you enjoying life uh, outside of the, the meat grinder that is uh, being the, the – the VP, VP of baseball ops or GM, whatever you call it. Do you enjoy doing what you do? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love what I'm doing at the network. Anytime you get a chance to talk about the game of baseball, Stan is really a joy. But, you know, there's a part of me that certainly misses the team-building aspect of running an organization and the collective mindset that you try to create in overcoming, you know, obstacles, which are really opportunities. Yeah, I just think once you get that within your blood and you understand the feeling of that, you know, you're always going to miss that somewhat. But you have to balance that out as it relates to, you know, the opportunities that are presented. And, you know, do you really have a realistic chance to be able to impact things the way you want to impact things? And after being in a position for 15 years, I, I felt this way. And, Stan, I feel this way about all of these roles is that uh, there's a shelf life. I think in these particular rules and, you know, mm-hmm. I felt certainly I was in a position where I, you know, I had, I had done everything I could do. Then it was time for somebody else to take an opportunity and, and run with it. You talk about uh, obstacles and how they are really opportunities or problems become opportunities. I'm not asking you to second guess Dan Duquette or, or the Orioles, but realistically, did you think that they were at least a 500 ball club or a game or two one way or the other? Or did you think they were as bad as they are now? Or did you think they were a 90-plus win team? No, I certainly didn't think they were a 90-plus win team. But, you know, they've done a really good job of trying to get the most out of whatever ability that they've had. It seems like the Orioles the last few years, some of their parts are really greater than any individual part. But, Stan, I do know that this is a game of attrition. And I do think the Orioles' model was set up that a lot of things had to go right for them to be competitive. And in a game when you have just there's so much unpredictability tied to outcomes, you know, a lot of things had to go right for them because of their lack of impactful depth coming through their organization to consistently feed their major league club. And when you're constantly in a pattern of trying to patch, you know, that creates a recipe for disaster if some certain things just don't go right for you yeah. in the process. And, uh, you know, certainly this, they just didn't get off to the kind of start they would have liked to. And if it's been a, every aspect of their ball club has been affected by that. And that's just the nature of the game of baseball. Well, there's no question when you get off to the start that they did and you couple that with the fact that the, the Red Sox started, whatever, 17-2, and two, uh, that builds a, a, a pretty good a hole for you to have to have to dig out of. Dan, let me ask you this. If, all the years that you've worked, what's the one main thing that you do first in trying to put a ball club together or one that you think is is modeled to be successful? Honestly, guys, it's, it, you know, to me, 
you know, it's funny. It's a very easy answer to your question. It's much more complicated to do. <laughs> if you look at the history of sport, and I'm not just talking about uh, baseball. I'm talking about any sport. It gets back to the quality and the consistency of your evaluations of player personnel and the process and system you have in place to be able to do that consistently. And number two, it gets back to your player development philosophy and your ability to take a player from point A to point B and make make every single one within your environment better than the way they were when they entered your environment. When you do that exceptionally well in any sport, Mm -hmm. you are going to win and you'll consistently win. But it's not something that you can do even average anymore in the world of sport. You have to be great at it. And there's no, and even in a market then that doesn't allow for a great margin of error, you even have to be more exceptional at it. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. You can patch for a period of years with free agent signings and trades. And, you know, you can do a lot of things that you do have to do well. But the core of it is if you don't have a steady talent flow coming through your organization of impactful players, contributing players, and value players, Quite honestly, you're just never going to win at the major league level. And if you do, it's not sustainable in any way, shape, or form. Dan, along with that that idea, the model, and I know you've known Dan Duquette a long time, and I know you have a lot of respect for him. I, I think we know he's smart enough baseball guy to know that the Orioles are missing out on the international market. Um, but the club philosophy, which comes from ownership, um, it, it – it, how big a hole does that dig for you when you can't play in that sandbox trying to bring some of this talent when you look at sort of the Cleveland Indians? I think they have nine scouts in Latin America, and the Orioles have two or three, I think. Well, Stan, I know that, uh, you know, we were able to convince our owner to actually build a brand-new academy in Boca Chica, and uh, that was our, you know, foothold. Uh, we'd like to say in Latin America and everything that we did, we did out of there from scouting to training and development, just not of our players on the field, but also of our staff. One of the most overlooked qualities uh, in development of a system, we talk about the players, but it's the impact of your staff that can have on your, your process day in and day out, but they have to be taught. They have to be Mm -hmm. taught your way consistently all the time. You know, the, the one area that I do agree with the Orioles on, is that if you're going to dabble in Latin America, you might as well not be involved in it at all. You have to make a full board commitment to attack the country, and then it takes years to build an infrastructure of quality decision-making within your people. Um, and if they weren't going to invest that kind of that effort into it, which is both monetary and people, then it's best not to dabble in it at all because Aye. your rate of return on a little bit of money you would invest you basically be better off applying those resources into another area. But to answer your uh, question, Stan, if you look at a, a pie chart, which represents 100% of your talent flow coming in the organization, you're basically taking 25 to 30% of that potential talent flow, and you're completely eliminating. That puts so yeah, much pressure yeah, yep. and, and on Dan- the other areas where you go to access talent through your free agent draft and your professional trade and uh, free agent signings. Um, your your rate of hit or return becomes almost unrealistic to be able to make those personnel decisions well on a consistent basis. And, Dan, I cover two teams uh, within about 40 miles of each other, and it's amazing what Mike Rizzo and that staff has done in terms of 
scouting and developing and things of that nature compared to what's done up the road. And you can see where, where those discrepancies and those differences kind of lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you can look at all 30 major league teams. And honestly, you can see the ones that are competitive year in and year out. And you can see the ones that aren't. Even factoring in payroll discrepancies, which is obviously in our game always going to exist. Mm-hmm. And then you really know the quality of the organizations that scout and develop well. So what if if the Orioles and we know that they're in a state of flux right now? If they were the new the new ownership uh, eyeballs on this thing, if they were to say tomorrow to Dan Duquette or whomever, "Hey, we we want to change that philosophy." How much money are you really talking about to really do it right uh, as an initial investment? Are you talking twenty to thirty million dollars? Uh, oh, not even close, man. Okay. You know, you're you're first of all to throw that kind of money at a problem without having a specific plan in place again would be a recipe for a disaster, especially in Latin America. I mean, when I when I threw that figure when I threw that figure American op- Dan when I threw yeah, that figure you're probably out. talking an initial okay. investment of uh, max probably two and a half million dollars. Okay. Uh, one, that's for a facility. Two, that start to put together an organization that's three for your signing bonuses to begin with and again this is not going to be an overnight solution no it's going to take you probably five years to get up and running uh in a complete full board latin american program where you're really competitively beginning to establish yourself as a significant player within that particular uh market dynamic so you know, you're going to add money over a period of time, and your largest outlay of cash will eventually be when you find a place where you can hang your shingle mm-hmm. and build an Oriole complex so you can create an Oriole way, which you have to be able to do. Yep. Um, I have some strong thoughts on that, too, as relates to things that I would do differently. You know, the beauty of, you know, not being involved on a day-to-day grind for the last two and a half years and doing what I've done is that I have such a broader perspective of things. You know, when you're running a club, day in and day out, you're very myopic in your views because you're trying to survive day in and day out mm. of the grind of that job. And so, you know, there's a, for me, a more competitive way to even approach Latin America at this point in time with a heavy emphasis on education. Because t- a player has to be able to do three things exceptionally well in our business to be successful over a long period of time. Specifically in skilled positions like pitchers and catchers, you have to be able to process thought, problem solve, and creatively think. To do that, you know, your players have to have some basis of understanding of how to do that day in and day out. So if you look at the Dominican Republic, for an example, they spent the lowest amount of GNP, second only to Haiti in the world, on their educational program. So you really have to fill that void for the player and his development as a person and a player. And uh, that's something that can be done so much better within our game. And I'm just going off on a tangent here. Right. Understanding the things that you really have to do well in Latin America to be able to create the kind of talent flow that can impact your major league club. Well, you answered my question perfectly because when I threw out that 25 to $30 million, I was thinking to build a, an actual facility academy that there was a lot greater and expenditure. And it doesn't even take that over yeah. there to do that, Stan. Yeah. It, you probably could do that for a lot less than that. Okay. Um and and just so our listeners and viewers on Facebook Live get get the understanding, so that academy that you built down there in in Latin America, Lindor today, Ramirez today, and a couple others, they come. They're the fruits from that labor, aren't they? Well, for the Indians, you know, I didn't build that with the Indians. I built that with the Rockies. Okay. So 
Um, when you look at kids like uh, Sensatella, for an example, okay. and Estevez, who's now on the DL, um, you know, Baldo Jimenez, Franklin Morales, uh, you know, the Rogers kid. I can go on and on of players that came through the Rockies Academy. Um, when we started with the Indians, uh, Winston Yanis uh, ran our Latin American program, and we were one of the first clubs in Cleveland to become intricately involved in the Latin American program. So when you look at Jose Ramirez, for example, like Lindor was a, a kid that went to Monteverde High School down in Florida from okay. Puerto Rico. Uh, but you look at kids like Ramirez and Santana and the kids that came through, that's a byproduct of the of the concept and that was developed with the Indians back in the mid-'90s. Yep. And so the fruits of that labor will extend long beyond the people that originated. So I started that academy back in the in the early 90s in uh, Cleveland, but still to this day it's churning out impactful players at the big league level. That's the beauty of what that that program does to you. And to not have it at all yeah. is basically, you know, it's putting so much pressure on your decision-making in other areas that it's unrealistic. We're talking with Dan O'Dowd, former general manager of the Colorado Rockies. He's a one-time farm director of the Cleveland Indians, now a studio analyst for MLB uh, TV. Uh, Dan, I wanted to flip to another topic right now. I, I heard this stat a couple, 10 days ago or something, that April 2018 was the first month in the history of the game where there were more strikeouts in a month than base hits. Did I hear that correct? You did. Yeah. And and what well, does that say about where the game is going and where these strikeouts are coming from? Well, you know, the game's not headed in a good direction uh, because, guys, if, if you're fans, like I stand, I know you are of the game of baseball, you don't see athleticism on the field unless the ball is put into play. When you see the ball put into play, you see speed, you see defensive instincts, you see, you see things that, you know, are jaw-dropping. The less the ball is put in play, the more unattractive our game becomes and the longer uh, our game, you know, becomes because strikeouts usually are, you know, four or five, six pitch at bats, which are long at bats. So, you know, it's a real problem, but most ball clubs are constructed that way because there's a clear competitive advantage to the three, three true outcomes, which is walk strikeouts and home runs. I mean, you look at the Oriole club and how that's been built over the last couple of years. I think it's almost, you know, an example of what we're trying to talk about. I think we've lost an entire generation that understands how to play the art of hitting, mm-hmm. leading off an inning. Um, you know, you realize the percentage of, of how much higher your percentage of score runs are when the, simply the leadoff man gets on. But when the leadoff man doesn't understand how to get on, he's not going to get on. <laughs> Scoring from runner from third base, moving a runner along, making what I call productive team outs on a consistent basis that puts your clubs in, in a position to win. You know, with the advent of uh, velocity and the short exposure of pitchers, the way that we have them in our game, hardly ever going through a lineup for the third time. Right. You know, we really have an issue within our industry of how to get guys to understand the art of hitting again. I think it has to start at a young level. And I do think the game may have to change a little bit at the major league level to be able to rectify the situation because this is a trend that we're not going to want to see moving forward over the next 10 years. I do think there's a competitive advantage in it. If you create mm-hmm. an organization that has a, you know, more of a balanced approach to hitting, where if you put together a lineup that's got certainly some guys that can hit the ball in the ballpark and with that strikeouts, but an also awful lot of guys, too, that can have productive outs and have quality barrel contact on a consistent basis, 
I think there's a huge competitive advantage for that in our game right now. How much of a issue is, uh, along with the stat that Stan brought up, but how much of that has to do with, excuse me, the analytics that are going on right now? So many people are concerned about launch angle and how hard your how hard the ball yeah, comes angle, off the bat. Yeah, launch angle, exit velocity, yeah. spin rate. No, I think it has. I think the game of analytics has taken over to the point where it's unbalanced in our approach to the game. You know, I understand launch angle and I understand the value of it and I understand it really how it should be taught. But it should not be taught to everybody. And it's still a game about quality, hard contact with tremendous backspin. Yeah. And that's not taught with launch angle. You... And so I think the game of analytics has done so much benefit to the game. But I also think it's hurt the game deeply, too, because there's a lack of balance and approach and how to look at, analyze, and teach the game on a consistent basis. And so many people, Craig, are teaching the game, teaching launch angle right now. They simply don't even know how to do it. Right. Because there's certain kids that, you know, their skill set is if you try to get them to do that, you're going to lessen their ability to impact the game at the major league level. Heck, you're seeing it even at a youth level right now. And there's no longer, like, at our age, when we grew up and played in any sense to form strikeouts, you just didn't want to strike out. It right. was not something you want to leave the game feeling good about. Right. You know, the body language on players in today's game, they could really care less if they strike out. I, love, I think that's a real issue within our game. I love him to death, but sometimes I could strangle Brian Kenny. <laughs> Just because well, yeah, I mean, Brian certainly led a revolution, and you can tell how sharp he is. But he even understands clearly, because Brian's a dear friend of mine, that this direction can't sustain itself. Yeah. The game's going to be heard over the long period of time. The commissioner's thrown out the, the notion of somehow limiting pitching changes, and it was done under the guise more about pace of play. Is the commissioner and the people uh, that run the game – are they really more talking about lessening relief pitchers coming into games because it's doing just what we're talking about? It's lessening the chances of balls being put into play? You know, Stan, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I would think it'd have to factor into their decision-making process, as that is a highly intellectual group up there. Yeah, I even, I even consider guys, uh, and I know this is blasphemy, but Everything we've done in our game is based upon run prevention. Everything we've come up with, you know, mm -hmm. what really upsets me is not the guy, not shifting to see a guy hook a ball into the four hole and get thrown out. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have any sympathy for that guy at all. What I do have a problem with is when you see a line drive up the middle off the bat that has historically been a base hit without, right? Because that's a quality at bat. That's a guy staying on a pitch and doing exactly what he should do with the pitch. And seeing him get thrown out because the shortstop or second baseman is standing behind second base, that I have a problem with. So do because you... you're not rewarding a guy for actually doing something, mm -hmm. you know, that represents real quality. Do... That I that I I wonder if we should begin to look at a little bit more closely. All right, it's very it's very interesting because you do wonder how we can get back to a game that is a little bit more enjoyable for people other than those that just no love doubt. strikeouts. You, know, you want to see Manny Machado make plays defensively. Yeah. You know, you just want to see you know, Adam Jones leave his feet in center field and make a spectacular play. And, you know, honestly, when you don't seem to get a chance to see those guys do that, it, it makes our game more boring to watch. No question about it. No question about it. What has, what has surprised you so far this season, aside from the Orioles being 14-30, and 30, the Dodgers, where they are, does that surprise you? The Indians, 
where they are, and then we'll let you get out of here on this Saturday You know, morning. honestly, guys, nothing really surprises me ever within our game, but I, I will tell you that I'm not surprised by the Dodgers. Watching them in spring training on, I just felt like they weren't the same team a year ago. You know, they made a decision, and rightly so probably, to get underneath the luxury right. tax because they were a third-time offender, and that's 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 50 cents on the or 60 cents on the dollar. That wow. that gets to be a very expensive. But by doing that, they took away their greatest competitive advantage for me over the last three years. They were the deepest, most versatile you know, 40-man roster within the, in the mm-hmm. game, and they went into a season this year not more than 28 to 30 deep. Right. And so what happens in our game, you have injuries to key players, and, and all of a sudden you're starting to play replacement level or below players at the major league level in, in important roles. Um, so I, 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 that didn't shock me as much. You know, the Indians lost, I think, a valuable player in Santana. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought there were question marks on their offense going into the season. I still think there are. But their bullpen is a concern for me at this point in time. They, uh, when you have your when your bullpen blows up, which by the way you've really never seen in Baltimore. That's the one thing Buck has been right. phenomenal with. It is really difficult to rebuild your bullpen the way they're going to need to in the middle of a season. You have to either trade valuable assets short term to do that, which kills you long term, or you got to get lucky. And when you when you bet on lady luck and your decision making <laughs> and skill set. Um, involvement in a game, you know, that's a bad recipe in the long run, too. So they really have an issue with their bullpen. They're going to have to figure out. Same with the Dodgers. I am really surprised so far on the competitiveness of the National League as a whole, though. The Phillies have taken a step. The Braves have taken a step. The Pirates have taken a big step this year. There's four teams in the Central Division that realistically could win it. I think the Western Division is the least competitive. Uh, a team out there may win it with 86 to 87, but there could be four teams that stay in it to win those kind of games all year long. So the National League by far is the bigger bunch, you know, of the two leagues. Um, and, you know, the steps that the Phillies and Braves have taken so quickly has been a tad of a surprise for me. I got one last quickie for you. Uh, I sure. can't I can't remember where I read it, but the other day, I, I think it was on MLBTradeRumors.com, but there was sort of a, a story that quantified – how this offseason is working out in terms of the one-year contracts. In other words, that, that the teams are getting a lot of value out of the one-year contract guys that they signed. It, are the players in for a shock this off, this next offseason because it's going to be a big and expensive free agent class? Well, I think the players at the top of the market uh, are certainly such elite players are going to do very well. I don't see any changes in the rest of the market at all. I, I believe the last uh, CBA negotiations um, that the ownership and the, and the union partaked in, you know, I don't think in my mind there's any guys, any sense of collusion going on in our game at all. I know there isn't personally. Yeah. I don't think there is, but the collective mindset and, and thought process of how people make decisions now is real. Yeah. And there aren't any emotional buys in our game anymore. They're almost to the point of, pragmatic buys and that's going to lend itself that uh, players that are on the wrong side of the age aggression model in our game are simply not going to get paid like they've gotten paid in the past you know it's and i don't see that changing this winter whatsoever because what's happening stan as you just said now it's proven correctly that even you know a little bit older players are going to perform better on short-term deals Mm -hmm. so clubs are now getting 
you know, what their thought process is not getting now getting verified in the actual performance on the field. That's going to cement that decision making process even deeper. You know, it's really interesting, and then we will let you go. But but here in Baltimore, we're hyper focused on Chris Davis. But I look around, and there must be fifteen to eighteen teams that have a Chris Davis type disaster contract on their hands. Right yeah, now. everybody has one of those deals. Yep, it's un- very rarely in our game anymore. Yep. You see clubs, and if the club doesn't have it, that means they figured out a way just to get rid of it, <laughs> like a Matt Kemp in Atlanta. You got it. And so everybody makes those decisions. I certainly made it in my tenure, too, and you learn from those decisions. You learn never to make them again. Um, and Chris Davis still can be a productive player. I don't know what's going on with him. Yep. Um, but certainly, you know, the key is when you sign those contracts, you have to have the payroll flexibility to say, if this thing blows up on us, we're still fine. If you can't answer that question, it's probably best served not to give those kind of contracts out. All right, Danny. Always a great time talking to you. Thank you for uh, spending hey, some time with us. Yeah, man. guys, thank you. Thank you for the great questions. I love coming on your show because you guys ask such great, deep baseball even, questions. Even Craig Heist? Real joy even Craig Heist asks good questions? <laughs> Craig hey. does, so you taught him well, Stan. All yeah. right. Hey. Uh, that didn't come from him, trust but, me. But he teaches me pronunciation. All right, Danny O'Dowd, thank you very much, man. Really Thanks, always enjoy it. Have a great All day. Right. Bye-bye.